Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple truth about recognizing the blessings of God. You ever go to a restaurant, you pick your food, you look at the menu, and all of a sudden they come back and put your plate before you, the first thing you do is you look over at the next guy. You look to the guy next to you. It just isn't enough, is it? So often God blesses us, He does so much, more than we deserve, more than we could ever think of, and yet it seems that we're never satisfied thinking that somehow God has ripped us off. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now, a sports fanatic proudly proclaims his allegiance by the team jersey he chooses to wear. But how do you tell who's a committed Christian? Well, today, Pastor Xavier continues his study in the book of Matthew as he shares why Christ was committed to us, his children. Let's join him for today's encouraging message, The Love of Jesus for Men. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34 this morning. Jesus has just taught a parable to his disciples regarding reward for service. There he taught God's faithfulness to those who serve faithfully without murmuring. But they still desire to be served at heart and needed further teaching. Does that sound familiar? How often we hear the teaching of the Word of God. How often, man, we're listening to a message, we're listening to a program on the radio or something, and all of a sudden God speaks to us, and we say, oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we go on, and God begins to work with us and deal with us, and, and we get into the whole spirit and the groove of it, whatever he has. And then all of a sudden, if we don't continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, all of a sudden we have to learn that lesson all over again another time. The disciples are a great encouragement to me because that means that there is hope for me. I mean, these guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. He's headed for the cross. And he's just spoken to them because Peter says, Lord, you know, if this rich man can't enter in, I mean, we've left everything. He says, don't worry about it. I won't shortchange you. I've never ripped anybody off. And he speaks this parable that God is more interested in the motive of our service and how we serve, not just that we do serve. For there are many who serve and they let you know it. Then there's others who serve and, and they can't do enough to serve. The entire motivation of service and for service is to be the love of Christ which constrains us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ. We want to look at the Lord's teaching here regarding service, but we want to focus on the quality of His love in verses 17 through 34. There are three things we're going to look at regarding His love. First, His sacrificial love, verses 17 through 19. Secondly, His patient love, verses 20 through 28. And then finish off with His compassionate love, verses 29 through 34. Let me read the passage. And I just gave you the background. He just finished the parable. Then Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. 
and the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to him and her sons, kneeling down and asked something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on the right hand, the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Do you know what you ask? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you, or so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, you may not think that these three sections are related in any way, but the thing that binds them together is the love of Jesus Christ. And some interesting lessons here that we're going to see that the disciples were missing. And yet they had full vision. These guys are blind, and they were seeing everything. In verses 17 through 19, we have the, the Lord's sacrificial love. Notice that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem willingly to die, verse 17 tells us. For this hour he had been born, for such had been the conversation on the Mount of Transfiguration just back in some previous chapters. He was talking with Moses and Elijah. They were talking about his exodus. His death to come, willingly, he had gone. He implied it in verse 12 of chapter 17 on the mount there. From the confession of Caesarea Philippi on, as I've told you over and over again, Jesus always mentioned his death along with his resurrection. He never separated them. And yet the disciples did not hear it. Willingly, he went up to Jerusalem. This would be the last time he would visit Jerusalem. He was willing, he knew from the beginning when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist. Jesus began to walk towards the cross. Now he's under the shadow of the cross. His heart is heavy. And he's got to worry about these clowns who he's got to teach the motive for service. Jesus was attempting to comfort and prepare his disciples for his death. 
He took them aside, it says there in verse 17. Mark tells us that Jesus was walking ahead of them and that they were amazed and that those who followed him were afraid. Mark 10, 32. Here when Jesus is under the shadow of the cross, when he is declaring to them, perhaps to get some support by them, here he has to comfort them. You see what I mean about sacrificial love? This is pictured so vividly in the love of a mother for a child. When she's been up all day working and then the child cannot sleep that night. And she's up with the child all night. Knowing the need of the child, yet she needs comfort. But the child being a child has to be cared for. What a picture of the love of Jesus Christ. Sacrificial. But how does a mother do that? Now I know that they're not always, they're all loving ladies. I understand that. <laughs> and you may get up out of bed, oh, I can't believe that kid. And then when you go to the crib and you see that little kid, you go, oh, everything changes. Pick him up. Because of love. Jesus declared his death would alter death, something they kept missing. Verses 18 and 19. This is the first time he mentions the Gentiles. Every time, remember this is the third, the proclamation becomes more progressive, more descriptive. It's the first time he mentions the Gentiles. In other words, the Jewish leaders would betray him and they would hand him over to the Roman government. It's the first time that he plainly says, crucify. Previous he says, killed. Now he says, crucify. That was a heinous way to die. None would die there except the worst of criminals. Certainly no Roman would ever be crucified. The Jews were very familiar with that. The Romans would line up the streets with men crucified to deter those who would dare to raise their head against Rome. But remember, this is the third time, and he's mentioned his death along with his resurrection. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to die, but here the implication is, I'm going to change death. Death had held man in bondage. Men today, women today, as you look around and, and people say, well, you know, there's no eternity, there's no heaven. And, you know, like blood, sweat and tears used to, used to sing, you know, I, I hope there's, I pray there's a heaven and I hope there's no hell. And people are always looking and saying, well, you know, is there really? But Jesus came to tell us that there is a hell and there is a heaven. And he came to set men free because death holds men and women. Once death takes place, there is no second opportunity. Once death takes place in a physical body, then whatever you have lived for all your life, then it is turned into eternity. No one will ever be able to say God is unjust, for God has given plenty of time for all to repent. God does not send anybody to hell. Men and women send themselves to hell by rejecting the proclamation of the gospel that there's only one way to heaven and many ways to hell. 
he would become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The author to the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 2.9 says that he tasted death for every man. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in my place, in my stead, in my person. And he paid the price for all of my sins. I belonged on the cross, yet he says, I will go to the cross for you. Jesus plainly declares here that his death would alter death. Death would never be the same after he died and rose from the dead. His sacrificial love would be efficacious. It would accomplish that for which he came. There would be no mistake. There would be no shortcoming. There would be no need for any other sacrifice. It would be accomplished. His sacrificial love in a time when he needed comfort, in a time when the disciples should have been caring for him, they're worried about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. What a picture of the church today as Christ has died and done so much to obtain all that he can in terms of the lost souls of the world. And much of the church is caring about, well, what kind of building are we going to get? What kind of activities we have? Oh, I can't believe he didn't say hi to me today. We're still caught up with who is the greatest in the kingdom. If his sacrificial love is not sufficient, we see his patient love in verses 20 through 28. Notice Salome, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, requests favor for her sons in verses 20 and 21. The mother of Zebedee's son came to him for her son, kneeling down, asking something from him. And he says, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two my sons may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. Remember, they had the mentality they're going to Jerusalem. They're going to knock off the Roman yoke. He's going to set up the kingdom and there's going to be power. There's going to be ruling. The kingdom that has been proclaimed and waited for is going to come. They never saw the church age. They never saw the gap between the first coming, the age of grace, and the second coming of Christ. The Jews saw only the present age and the age to come. And they wanted to get their seat they wanted to be the first in line. She is identified as the sister of the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary. Matthew 27, 56, Mark 15, 40, and John 19, 25. This was Jesus' aunt. And James and John were the cousins of Jesus. Come on, Mom. He's our cousin. He can't deny it. You're his aunt. How often people want to gain favor and position in the church because of who they know and who they are. How sad it is when the church bows down to that. Because then we put men and women in positions that God never has called them to and the church becomes ineffective. We need to realize that God calls men and women to a position to serve, and they can only be effective as they respond to that faithfully. 
Notice she came kneeling. A posture of worship. Only because she wanted something. What a sad picture of many today who worship Jesus only when they want something. We are to worship Jesus because of who He is and because what He has done. Not because He has kept me out of trouble. Not because He has delivered me from this situation. I am never to stop worshiping Jesus simply because my life situation is dim. I am not to gauge my desire to worship Him on how I feel. Or whether He has allowed calamity to come into my life. I am to prostrate myself before God because of who He is and what He has done. And I'm sad that the only time I would come is because I want something. We have many people in the church like that today. They think that Jesus is a genie. And then when God gets them out of their troubles, they're gone. She was attempting to secure the best of what Jesus had promised. She's not completely off the wall. Remember in chapter 19, verse 28, when Peter says, Lord, we've left all. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here she comes. She says, Hey, let James and John have the right and the left. I know you already promised they're going to rule, but that's not enough. I want the best for them. So often, God blesses us. He does so much, more than we deserve, more than, than we could ever think of. And yet, we say, Lord, I know that you're good, and I know that you're done, but could I have that one? <laughs> it seems that we're never satisfied thinking that somehow God has ripped us off. You ever go to a restaurant? You pick your food, you look at the menu, and all of a sudden they come back and they're serving the plate, and they put your plate before you. The first thing you do is you look over the next guy. <laughs> you look to the guy next to you. It just isn't enough, is it? You had a choice. You didn't choose it, but now you want it. Jesus answered and said, do you know? You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup and I'm ab about to drink and the baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. James and John desired to be served. In verse 22, notice that Jesus confronts their self-interest. The word ask is in the indirect middle voice in the Greek. It represents the person acting on his own interest, self-interest. Jesus repeats and he says that word. Do you know what you ask? In other words, do you realize that you're asking with self-interest in mind? They ignored it. They ignored the checking by the Lord. But equally, they showed their ignorance to the cost represented by the cup and the baptism. The Lord nailed them. He's trying to keep them from being embarrassed before the other ten. Hopefully they get the hint. 
but they shine it on. Often the Lord comes to you and, and myself and He says, do you realize what you're asking? Oh yeah, Lord, I want to serve your people. He says, do you realize what you're asking? Why you're asking it? For who you're asking this? And we shine Him on. And all we have in view is the glory. And we haven't considered the cost. What if Jesus would have said, Okay, James and John, you are my disciples. You are two of the three which I have chosen continuously to be privileged to see and to hear things that the others have not. When I get to Jerusalem, you guys can have my left and my right. John, you're on the right. James, you're on the left. And then when they got to Jerusalem, and as they arrested Jesus, they would arrest them also. And as they took Jesus to the cross, they would also take them to the cross. And as they crucified Christ, they would have had both of them next to Christ instead of the thieves. I can imagine James and John from those crosses saying, Lord, how could you have deceived us? We didn't know. I asked you, do you know? You said yes. I asked you if you were able to drink of the cup of the sufferings and the baptism of death. You said, yeah. Oh, but Lord, we thought we... Oh, you had glory in mind. You had power, prominence, privilege, recognition, fame. Now I understand. Excuse me, could you get these guys down? They're really not my disciples. Heavy. We are able. How flippant we talk to the Lord. We say, Lord, mold me and shape me into your image. He says, you understand what you're asking me? Oh, yes, Lord. When you ask the Lord to mold you and shape you into his image, then you better get ready to die. Because he's going to put you through the test. People are going to sin against you. You're going to have to forgive. People are going to betray you. You're going to have to just trust God. Things will happen that will seem not fair. And you'll have to recognize that you've died. That you might be conforming to the image of Christ. Not just simply be there for the glory. Jesus prophesies about their sufferings in verse 23. Yet, they were totally ignorant about what he was saying. James was killed by the sword of Herod in Acts 12, 1 and 2. And John, as you know, tradition tells us he was boiled in oil. He didn't die and he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Revelation 1, 9 tells us that. At least that he was exiled. The tradition tells us that he was boiled in oil. And yet... Each of us will have to partake of the cup and the baptism throughout our life. It's the only way that we will be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Some of you will have to go through it in your marriage. Others of you with your children. Others of you with your finances. Others of you in your employment. Others of you with a neighbor others of you with family. But all of us, all of us 
will partake of the cup and of the baptism. It's the only way we can become like Christ. The only way. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about what it takes to become like our Savior. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study called The Love of Jesus for Men. It's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The title to ask for once again is The Love of Jesus for Men. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, have you ever wondered what is your calling in life? Find the answer when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com